0: today on act news daily
1: in new mexico and nobody wants to hear that but that would be the farthest south i think we're going to see the sub freezing air and this this chance for some white stuff but i will tell you this you're going to recover quickly after that and warm up very very quickly
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I'm very excited we're finally getting to talk to Eric Snodgrass today, who I know we've been teasing up for quite some time. We're going to talk
2: weather. Yes, I am very excited to talk about weather. Um, I mean, there's some weird things going on here in the panhandle, some things going on in the Midwest that folks should, I guess, be concerned about as we're entering into planting season. So folks, be sure to stay tuned to hear what's going on in your part of the world. Absolutely. And Ashton, do you know what a, what a sign is that you're getting older?
0: What what a conversation sign, I should say, is? Yeah, when you start talking
2: about the weather.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all we always think. Like I remember growing up, that that was going to be the signifier when I knew I was getting older is one, I would talk about the weather and two, I would talk about, you know, ailments or people dying. Cause I feel like that's just, every time I see my grandma, that's what we talk about is people dying or people getting sick or people having issues. So
2: that must be a sign Ashton. Well, to kind of take things up on a high note there, um, have you been paying attention or have you seen the discovery TV show pig royalty?
0: Okay, I am glad you brought this up because listener Gary Rasmussen sent me like a little teaser video for this. And I happened to just watch the teaser video. I haven't seen the show. It seems very odd. But the premise, action is basically like
2: 4-H slash show moms, right? So I have actually watched the, I watched the trailer. I haven't watched it premiered on March 23rd. I haven't watched any episodes or anything like that. But basically it's like these two rival families in Texas um, and, you know, the pig show world and that kind of stuff. But I, to be honest, and if they're listening, no hard feelings, but I mean, I showed for quite some time and I don't even know who these people are. So I don't know how Discovery Plus found them. (laughs)
0: Uh, I would imagine it's quote-unquote reality TV, but there's
2: probably some staging in that. Oh, I would assume so. I mean, it just, I've seen a couple different videos and stuff like that from the episode that did air, and I just, I, I think that it's quite comical, especially with it being in Texas, and I know that each state is kind of different when it comes to livestock shows and stuff like that, so just seeing it portrayed on TV is definitely a different experience than what it's like in person. Well, absolutely. And that's actually a
0: good segue into a piece of news I have here, Ashton, because hopefully that show, although it is quote unquote reality, maybe not the best reality that most people experience, but hopefully at least brings a positive perspective to agriculture. I know it's reality and it's dramatic and all of that, but I think the important thing is that it is hopefully trying to bridge that gap for consumers a little bit because consumers in California definitely need that gap bridged. We saw some fresh news today that ag groups are making a case versus or against the California Prop 12, which regulates only in state markets. So all sides in a legal challenge to California's Proposition 12 laid out their cases during oral arguments in a federal court on Wednesday. Agriculture groups are arguing that the state's laws placing animal welfare restrictions on hog producers specifically who sell pork In the state violates the commerce clause by regulating hog producers in other states, and so this law currently requires hog producers to abide by certain regulations in order to sell pork in California, and this prop 12 was passed by voters back in 2018 with 63% of votes supporting it so now ag groups are coming forth and trying to turn the tables here and get this reversed but uh, the law essentially forbids the sale of pork meat in california from hogs born of sows not housed in conformity with the law or like group housing group settings they can't be raised in confinement settings etc so i think this is a very timely piece of information when you consider that tv show coming out ashton
2: Yes, I definitely think that this is really interesting, and I think that there's been kind of a development, and now it's just kind of bubbling over, so I'm glad that you were able to keep an eye out on that, Delaney. But for my first bit of news today, I think it goes well with our interview, because it's talking about the refilling of the aquifers in Nebraska after they had a pretty wet year in 2019. A report from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln shows that irrigation wells across Nebraska had more water in them last year from record rainfall and historic flooding in 2019. Aaron Young, who is a geologist with the Nebraska Conservation Survey Division, says the excess moisture caused a significant rise in water levels and should alleviate water shortage concerns for irrigation. And as we go on to talk to Eric Snodgrass today, this seems like a bit of a good sign for the planting season. The 2020 groundwater level monitoring report showed 79% of the wells had an increase with 55% recording a jump of over a foot. So it sounds like there that's some good news for you know farmers out in Nebraska, but we're just going to have to keep an eye out for the rest of planting season, hopefully have Eric back on to see how things go weather-wise. But if these wells and their irrigation systems are pretty full, hopefully farmers won't have too much of an issue
0: yeah absolutely because as eric's going to talk about here in a little while there's basically three different scenarios that we could see happen this summer unfortunately for folks out in the western portion of the united states it doesn't look good really for them either way but corn belt area iowa illinois indiana etc you know the primary crop uh when it comes to corn and soybean growing states there could be scenario where we do survive this this summer and don't have to see too bad of drought, but. We'll continue to see how that weather story develops, but a study done by the Union of Concerned Scientists used some recent USDA consent, USDA census data to put some numbers on the extent to which mid-sized farmers have disappeared, especially here in the Midwest. They said that the number of farms nationwide that have anywhere from 50 to 1,000 acres in size has dropped in half or by about 700,000 farms between the years of 1978 and 2017. So we're continuing to see consolidation take place here, especially in Illinois, Iowa, and Indiana and kind of the surrounding states here in the Midwest, but... Conversely, an additional hundred million acres are now part of farms operating as a thousand acres in size or more. So I think that comes as no surprise. We've talked a lot about consolidation. You know, I think we talked about it when we had Doug Johnson on previously from Mooney's Analytics. The trend is continuing that farmers are unfortunately having to, to some extent, get bigger or get pushed out of the industry. And we're continuing to see that
2: pattern here into 2021 well delaney jumping down under new zealand said yesterday that it will stop the export of livestock by sea following a transition period of up to two years citing animal welfare concerns for a decision that will affect their major trading partners including australia and china the ban was welcomed by animal welfare groups but the peak farming industry body said it was caught by surprise and was unaware of any breaches of standards. Live exports by sea represent about 0.2% of New Zealand's primary sector exports revenue since 2015 and has averaged around $42.32 million per year from 2015 to 2019. And just to throw a couple more numbers at you, New Zealand exported 113 thousand two hundred and eighty five cattle by sea just this past year alone agriculture minister damien o'connor said that we have not been able to guarantee the safety of these animals at sea and that's an unacceptable risk for new zealand o'connor added that key trading partners were informed of this decision and when asked if there were concerns the move would upset china which is a top importer of live cattle O'Connor said that it wasn't about China, it's about animal welfare and New Zealand's reputation. So I thought that this decision was pretty interesting. I mean, I've reported some time ago about the cattle that were aboard that ship, um, I believe leaving out of Spain, and they were on it for months at a time. And honestly, from an animal welfare standpoint, I understand that that is just a risk um, when you're dealing with live cattle on ships in the sea. And New Zealand said that last year it was reviewing live exports when it introduced interim measures following the capsizing of a ship that was bound for China that killed nearly 6,000 cows and 41 of the 43 crew members. I don't know if you remember that story, Delaney, but I think it was mm-hmm. maybe about this time last year um, or we're approaching just that year mark. Um, I believe it was around last summer something like that. So I, I guess I can see you know where New Zealand is coming from. However, I'm anxious to see how this does affect their relationships with China and Australia. I mean, specifically China, since they import a lot of live cattle, um, just going to have to be something that we keep our eye out on. I mean, it is only 0.2% of New Zealand's primary sector exports, but I think that it is quite interesting, especially since... I think animal welfare has been um I mean I wouldn't say a super hot topic, but been a pretty popular one among consumers. It certainly has, and it's definitely not one that's
0: necessarily gonna go away, as we just noted earlier, you know, with the proposition twelve measures in California. But I tell you what, Ash and I am all out of news for today. What do you say? We chat markets real fast here. Let's do it. All right. Well, We've seen corn extend on a nice little rally here for quite some time. We've seen new crop corn now climb back up to an eight-year high as we continue to watch what's going on here in the United States as far as planting season is concerned, as well as what's going on down in South America. And we're going to talk about all of that and more with Eric here and coming up in just a moment. In the meantime, May corn today closed out at 5.89 and three quarters, down four and a quarter cent. Deese new crop, as I mentioned, hit another fresh eight-year high here, closing up a penny to end at 5.12 and a quarter. Soybeans today, the May contract adding seven and three quarters cents to close at fourteen seventeen and three quarters in November added five cents to close at twelve sixty-nine even. Wheat today higher as well with the May contract adding four and a half cents to close at six fifty two and a half. The July up four and a quarter to close at six fifty-four and a half. Taking a look at livestock markets today, the April live cattle contract shed 50 cents to close at 121.60. The June down 40 cents to close at 119.65. Peter cattle today lower as well, with the April contract shedding a dollar ten to close at 140.05. The May down a dollar to close at 144.42 and a half. And in lean hogs, weakness today as the April contract shed 20 cents to close at 103.40. The June down $3 to close at 104.70. And wrapping up the markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. Mixed a bag today as the April contract finished up 7 cents to close at 17.56. The May down 29 cents to close at 18.54. Without further ado, Ashton, let's turn it over to our conversation with Eric Snodgrass. Well, as we've been promising and teasing now for a few weeks, we are finally joined by Eric Snodgrass, Science Fellow for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, there is certainly no shortage of topics to talk about when it comes to weather, that's for sure. But thanks for joining us today. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me.
0: So, Eric, let's start out here. With a little bit about your background, before we get into the specifics of current weather patterns and what's going on here, you have had a variety of different roles, including your current role at Nutrient Ag Solutions, but walk us through a little bit about your background and how you study the the weather as related uh, from an agricultural perspective.
1: Yeah, sure. So I was one of those rare people that actually picked a major and stuck with it in school. And uh, so I went through undergrad. Uh, then decided to go to grad school at University of Illinois. Then after that, um, I was asked to stay on and join the faculty. So I taught for 13 years there. And along the way, I started a couple of small companies that focused on industry-specific weather forecasting, specifically long-range stuff. And um, I got very interested in ag forecasting in 2012. And I think it's pretty clear as to why that was a spectacular year. And it kind of made me aware of um, just how much um, you know the, the farming practices around the world hang on valid weather information. And so with time, I started a company called Agribull with a group of, of folks and uh, Nutrient Ag Solutions acquired Agribull. And I, I made the tough decision to leave the university and, uh, and, and join the private sector. And uh, it's been a great, great time since doing that. So that just happened over the last couple of years here.
2: Well, Eric, I'm glad that we finally were able to have you on because we have been talking a bit about weather. I mean, Delaney is like our in-house weather girl. She's been reporting on it quite a bit here lately. So why don't we just take a quick look as to kind of what's going on around the U.S.? I mean, particularly as well as taking a deeper dive into what's going on in the Midwest, because a lot of folks are gearing up for planting season. And um, we've got some, I guess, tricky weather, I'll say, kind of going on right now.
1: Yeah, we do. And and what's bad about it is, to be honest, a big section of the Midwest is relatively dry. I mean, if we had a dry stretch in April and then the temperatures were warm, we could have really gone aggressively after planting. So this is what's tough is that the temperatures are cool. We're still getting overnight low temperatures uh, now through, um, gosh, probably the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, where we're going to be running the risk of having an overnight frost. After that, the pattern breaks. But unfortunately, with the return of some warmer weather, we also return that gulf moisture and therefore our chances for precipitation pick back up again, which, which just means that we're going to have our normal kind of spring planting issues when we think about what this might mean to, to getting this crop really going. But gosh, we really had an open opportunity here in the middle of the month of April, except for these cold temperatures that have come in. And I know it's got a lot of folks frustrated because of how warm and amazing like Easter weekend was, right? And we often think Easter weekend, the moment Easter's done, let's go after it. And uh, this was one of those years where it was kind of like ready, set, stop because of the cold weather that came in.
2: Eric, I want to continue to talk about this as I'm based in Lubbock. And so a lot of folks here in the high plains are gearing up for cotton planting season. We're experiencing some cold weather today. And I think it's predicted that a couple of Places higher up in the Texas Panhandle are going to experience some freezes. Do you have any insight on how that might affect cotton planting as folks are preparing for that as well?
1: You're right. And we can add another dimension to that. I mean, how many times so far in 2021 have you had a dust storm there in Lubbock as well? So that just tells you how dry it is to your west as well. So unfortunately, the coldest air is going to snake through the high plains. And so we could get a, a frost through Amarillo, maybe even farther south than that. And uh, it's just putting kind of a, a real damper on on getting that cotton crop started. Uh, so yeah, and, and please forgive me for having to tell you this, but when I look out there into next week, I do see starting on the nineteenth, moving through the twenty second, a pretty big high pressure cell that comes out of Alberta, Canada, and as it pushes through the south, it will butt up against the Rocky Mountains, run right down the High Plains, and there's a chance for snow in the Panhandles. There's a chance of snow. Um, in New Mexico, and nobody wants to hear that, but that would be the farthest south. I think we're going to see the sub-freezing air and this this chance for some white stuff. But I will tell you this, you're going to recover quickly after that and warm up very, very quickly. And with that, unfortunately, you down there in, 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 in that part of Texas are going to be watching every day the position of the dry line as the severe weather season resumes there on the high plains.
0: Eric, I've got to admit, most of the weather nuances that I've shared on the podcast so far have been really garnered from your newsletter and some of the discussions that we've had. But you've been mentioning a lot in some of your commentary lately, talking about these weather patterns here longer term because there are a couple different scenarios for what we see as far as the growing season here, extended growing season, I should say, here this summer into this fall as we head into harvest. And walk us through a little bit about those three different scenarios and and primarily how the meridian line will impact that or could impact that
1: (laughs) i love hearing you say that yeah (laughs) that's 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 what we're going to be watching most carefully for is is which meridian that's our you know our north south running lines of longitude which meridian is going to be the preferred one for where the ridge will anchor during the summer now over the last 40 years it's been pretty far to the west even west of like the 100th or 110th meridian keeping all that heat in the mountains keeping it very far to the west which is why most of the last decade we have seen more wet summers with adequate rainfall for most of the corn belt uh, to do very well on yields Uh, our risk of drought during those years has been limited to a few areas i mean we just think back to last year the flash drought that happened in iowa and nebraska and pockets in illinois but sustained long-term drought i mean it's almost been a, a decade since we've seen that and of course that goes back to 2012 so so here's the story um, the the ocean temperatures just off the west coast of the United States are cool right now. So tossing that word meridian in there again, we actually call that the negative phase of the Pacific meridional mode. And all it means is there's cold water lining from the Gulf of Alaska along the west coast of North America, and then off the Baja of California. This is not La Nina. This is something different entirely. And historically, that colder weather there is... Uh, excuse me, the colder uh, ocean temperatures there are, are are better correlated with risk of drought when you get into the central United States between, let's just call it Nebraska to Indiana, and the north-south, uh, kind of put a cross there, right there on that section of the country. So th- th- that's going to be the, the the dominating factor. Now, there's a second piece to this. And the second piece is that right now across the United States, the deepest drought regions are actually currently in the great basin in the southern plains you know kind of down there where where you are ashton and then also in the um up in the dakotas so if the drought is already starting off west does that allow the ridge to move west with it those are the competing factors and at this point i can tell you that both of them point toward a risk for drought this summer my question will be do we see the hot and dry setup east first and when i say east i'm talking like over illinois and then shift west toward you know the front range of the rocky mountains as we go from june through july and august and if it shifts west all summer long then the midwest gets storms and those storms well in a normal year they provide 60% of our rainfall so it it, it could turn quickly away from me being worried every day about drought to me spending everyday forecasting who's getting the thunderstorms and who's not. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of balances a bit here on a knife edge, but those are the longer term features that a lot of us are watching. And those are the big ones at this point, which, which you were asking about.
2: Eric, I want to take things to South America. I mean, like Delaney said, she's been talking a lot about weather based off of your newsletter and y'all's conversations. And a lot of that, I feel like, has been about South American weather. So can you just guide us through a quick look at what's going on down there?
1: Sure. So let's start. Far south first, let's go to Argentina. Drought struggles mid-season, and then over the last uh, 15 to 20 days, they had some pretty big storms that rolled through. That's the equivalent of us getting big rains like late in, uh, you know, uh, late July into August. Now, since the going north of there, let's talk about southern Brazil. Southern Brazil does have a small portion of the safrina crop that's planted there, primarily in the state of Paraná. And since the beginning of April, they've not received much precipitation at all. In fact, some pockets have not seen precipitation in about 25 days. So that safrina crop went in late and then it went in dry. And therefore, we're going to watch southern Brazil very, very carefully to see if there's going to be continued problems. And if we just put a number on this, I was talking to Arlen Suderman the other day. That may be about 30 percent of the safrina crop that we're talking about there in southern Brazil. The majority of it, that's north in Mato Grosso, Tocantins, Bahia, Minas Gerais, those areas, uh, the monsoon is actually quite strong for this time of year right now. And What that means is things like the Madden-Julian Oscillation, which kind of helps the monsoon breathe better, while it's in a favorable phase to be returning more normal monsoonal moisture, which means about 70% of the safrina crop will likely get a good drink of water here over the next couple of weeks. But remember, the monsoon ends normally, it really, really starts to weaken, I should say, at the end of April and the beginning of May. And the majority of this crop, this saffrina crop, went in late. And as a consequence, I think there's going to be some of that crop that struggles to get moisture once we get into May. And then remember, their season just continues into May and June, and they finally get this harvested. And what I think it's going to do is it's going to take what was potentially a very, very large crop, given the increase in acreage and kind of chop the top off of it by limiting the the yield potential here with some of these drier conditions farther to the south and the delayed planting and the potential for the crop to be maturing during the drier weather. So um, I, I guess what it says is that when we think globally about our, our balance sheet, you know, the supply side of things, it wasn't as though South America just swept in and, and blew us out of the water with the amount of soybeans and corn they're going to grow. They had some weather problems as well. And so I, I think that uh, I think that's the main story we've got coming out south of the equator.
0: Erica, I've got to admit, uh, before I started reading your commentary and having regular discussions with you, I kind of felt like the weather was hard to predict. It didn't really seem like an art or a science, but it, it certainly is, and you've definitely enlightened me to that. But part of the reason that I think I've had that enlightenment is just because I read your daily commentary. So for folks that want to read what you're putting out, what you're writing, what you're thinking, how can they follow along with some of that great commentary?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have a website where you can go to get signed up for this. Now, it's a bit of a longer URL, but uh, I'll I'll tell you what it is now, and then we can kind of provide a link to it later. And again, this is something Nutrien lets me provide for free, uh, but it's info dot nutrient that's like the word nutrient without a t okay so info dot nutrient dot com then forward slash my last name which is snodgrass underscore weather so again that's info dot nutrient dot com forward slash snodgrass underscore weather it's a web form you put your email in it, it goes to my list and then you start receiving the emails every day which includes some video work all my favorite maps and very very soon some brand new stuff i'm excited to share i'm not going to reveal it just yet but some field level weather information that'll show up in your report that I think you'll find quite valuable. And again, if you sign up, uh, two things, the email address you put in there, it simply goes to me. Uh, it's not as though I share it or sell it. And then secondly, yeah, if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe and we won't bother you again. Uh, but it's that quick and easy.
0: Eric, I find it hard to believe anybody wouldn't like receiving that commentary.
1: <laughs> you never know, right? Some folks, some folks might get sick of the fact I keep saying uh, that they're going to keep getting delayed in planting. And just want to mute me and shut me off for a little That's, while. You know, that could be true. Up later.
0: <laughs> that could be true. Well, Eric, thanks again for coming on and chatting weather with us. We'll have to get another update from you later on in the
2: season.
1: That sounds good. Thanks.
2: Well, thanks again there to Eric for coming on and chatting weather with us. It was a lot more exciting than I really anticipated, Delaney, because like you said there at the beginning of the podcast, whenever I think of, you know, older people and what they talk about, it tends to be weather. So it was surprisingly a great conversation today.
0: Yeah. And I think Eric, at least for me, puts it in a way that makes sense. It's understandable. He makes weather fun,
2: you know, and that's a hard thing to do, I feel like. I definitely agree there, Delaney. But folks, we only have one more fun interview for this week. Tomorrow, we're featuring another 30 Under 30 interview. So folks, be sure to tune into that at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe as well so you never miss a beat here on the Ag News Daily podcast. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.